Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Mad Max Minute, where we watch desperate people make desperate moves in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 21, which begins with one final scout vehicle leaving the compound, and it ends with marauders swarming that scout vehicle after it's been disabled. So I kind of slipped a little bit last Friday. I kind of started talking about this minute a little too soon because it <laughs> flows so easily from Max waking up and watching everything happen to what we've got going here, especially with the introduction of this fourth scout car. And I think it was probably a good idea for them to really stagger when these scouts left, because as we saw with the first three that came out, I mean, they were pretty quickly beset by marauders that were laying in wait. Yeah, I've kind of been racking my brain all weekend about the strategy of sending these vehicles out at this time of day at this the the frequency the pacing of sending them out and i'm just i'm just not sure that they did it right like maybe they could have strategized better yeah how do you mean well i can't help but wonder like going out at night or slipping out on foot. I'm really not sure what would have worked. It just doesn't seem like this strategy of waiting till morning and sending out all your vehicles more or less at once. A little staggered, but more or less at once, heading off in various directions. It just seems to have failed so fast that I wonder if there was a better way that they could have done it. I think the people in the compound were kind of hoping that if they all left at first light, they'd be able to get away before the horde returned from the night before. And I think they just didn't expect for all of these raider vehicles to be so spread out around the compound. Yes. They didn't expect to have that many eyes watching what they were doing. And where these are scout vehicles, I mean, granted, we don't know this right now. We actually learn it in a later minute. But they're going out for a very specific purpose. They're going out to find a rig that can haul the tanker full of gasoline so that they can get out of there. And the fact that they're going out to find a vehicle... If they want to try and be stealthy, they don't want to have a bunch of lights and whatnot. But at the same time, they need to be able to see what they're doing. And so nighttime would give them the cover of darkness to escape in, but they wouldn't necessarily need be able to see as much. Going first thing in the morning makes them a lot more conspicuous, but it's easier for them to actually see and find things. Right. And maybe they just figured, you know what, we'll grab our fastest vehicles and we'll just go as hard and fast as we can and see if we can outrun them. It's a risky venture either way. I don't think there is a right answer. I think that the horde was watching over the compound in various places. And I mean, the first sound that we heard even before we looked at the compound in the morning was a siren going off. The moment they opened that gate, mm -hmm. the horde already knew it. 
and was already alerting everybody, get in your cars. Yeah, that's one of those things so, where if you're trying to be stealthy, it only takes one person to see you. Mm-hmm. And if you give them the opportunity to raise the alarm, then everyone's going to know. And then the gambit's up. It's like, what are you going to do? Just turn around and try and get back in real quick? It's it's not necessarily that easy. The people in the compound are really desperate to get out of this situation because the gyro captain says, oh, there's 30 people in there. But are there really that many? Right. I mean, we saw at least one or two people in this past week, I think, alone that were falling in defense of the compound yes you've got a finite amount of people on either side but even so i feel like the horde just started with more people so in this war of attrition the horde is better equipped with just more manpower absolutely and they're not the ones trapped they have freedom of movement right they have freedom of choice they can abandon this adventure anytime they feel they can't win this battle. The compound, yeah, they're just locked down. They have no choices. They're driven to perhaps foolish strategies Hmm. by lack of choices. Like I said, I hesitate to call it foolish right out. I think I'm just more comfortable calling it desperate. Acting with maybe not the most amount of wisdom because of severe need. Okay. I'm not ready to take back the term foolish Mm -hmm. but i see your point of view that i agree that it was out of desperation yeah there are some things in these movies that we can take as gospel truth and i think one of those things comes from the opener where it says those that weren't mobile enough to scavenge were i forget the exact line trampled over or something like that let me see if i can find that statement because it's in the opening narration Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say it's the general thesis of the movie or anything like that it's not the main idea but it's just one of those really good pieces of advice when it comes to surviving in the wasteland here it is so the narrator says Only those mobile enough to scavenge, brutal enough to pillage, would survive. So, I mean, the fact that these people in the compound are holed up trying to stay in one place, it's not likely that they'll survive because they don't have that mobility. And it's almost a shame that the Lord Humongous didn't start out with diplomacy because I feel like Papagallo and his group, if they had met with a member of Lord Humongous's horde, like maybe if the Lord Humongous sent the toady out to parlay with them and they said, okay, well, we want to move. We want to get out of here. We want to get to this place. Those details we're going to learn later on. Right. But they said, okay, find us a rig that we can pull this tanker with. Once we get our tanker and leave, you can have the compound. Trade one thing for another. Yeah. Because I feel like the Lord Humongous would have taken that deal. He said, oh, well, we just need to find them a tanker that's big enough. I'll take infinite gasoline over not knowing how to control a compound once we take it. And as we find out towards the end of this movie, they can take the compound by force, but it doesn't do them any good because it ends up being booby-trapped. But... We'll save that for later, because it's coming a lot later. Yeah. (laughs) Just very disappointed in the straight-to-violence steps that they took. (laughs) Yes. We wouldn't have much of a movie if they did that, though. Where would the conflict be? Right. This is Mad Max. This is not civil bartering of goods and services, Max. (laughs) Because that title is a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not so much. We need to have warriors on the road in order to justify the title Road Warrior. (laughs) So that straight-to-violence attitude pretty much epitomizes this minute. After we see the various cars going off in various directions, Max kind of focuses on one, which is coming 
more or less towards him to the left, kind of going around the pinnacle that he is on. Mm -hmm. And it disappears from view pretty quickly. And Max scrambles over to the other side. He makes it look really quick, which makes me wonder, like, the size of this peak that he is on. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a very large area on top of that hill that they're sitting on. Right. Almost like the sides are really steep. And it's one of those things where to be able to visit the site, to be able to visit the pinnacles outside would of Broken be Hill helpful. would be so amazing. Yeah, because we don't have terrain like this no where we are and i have never been in areas with terrain like this you sort of had the the american southwest the high deserts yeah so you've seen this type of thing i'm also curious now okay this is jumping ahead i think next minute maybe the minute after but his car is up there yeah yeah he's got it parked up on top of that hill how did he get his car up there I think I just, I'm just so unfamiliar with this type of terrain that I just can't picture it. Yeah. Anyways, so he scrambles over to the other side where he can pick up the view of the buggy coming out the other side. Mm. And I love this little sequence of shots that we see here because we start off with the car traveling right to left and then the car goes behind the hill. We do a whip pan over to Max who kind of throws off his poncho and gets to his feet. And as he stands and turns, he's on the left side of the frame. And as he turns to run and we cut to the next perspective shot, he's still on the left side of the frame. And it's one of those editing tricks that George Miller likes to do where the action on screen guides your focus. So that way it's easier for you to follow the action. And there's an amazing video done by the film theorists on YouTube. The video is called How Mad Max Fury Road Directed You as part of their frame by frame series. And yeah, in that video, they're talking about Fury Road, but that's just because Fury Road came out two years ago and they wanted to talk about the most recent instant of the series. But the same holds true for what we're seeing here in Road Warrior. And it just makes everything feel really tight and controlled. And like I said before, easy to follow. Yes, I agree. I have to say that back in the last minute or two, when we were watching these cars go off in different directions, I was starting to get a little bit confused about which car was going where and being followed by who. So as we're following this particular car, we lose sight of it, we regain sight of it. That transition, I really appreciated it because it helped me to visualize in my head and understand the geography of what's going on, especially because I can't picture the geography of this type of landscape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely helps spatially aware the viewer. I think there's a lot of people that like to complain how... You'll get modern action movies, and I think the best example of this is like fight scenes where they will have two characters and they'll be up close to each other and they're punching and kicking and throwing each other around and the camera is just cutting, 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 and there's no cohesiveness about where people are or where they are in relation to each other or the room that they're in, and you lose that cohesiveness when you've got your subject flying around the frame. Yes. Now, is it frame by frame that series that also did, I think, many, many episodes on that type of directing? Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm pretty sure that the one I'm thinking of particular, they were focusing on a particular director, and I can't remember who, but talking about how the director led you through a fight, exactly what you were saying, and guided your eye, guided your understanding of what was happening, and how they were using the space. I think that might have been the video where they were talking 
talking about Logan. I'm kind of scrolling through the video titles, and there's one on the list that says how Logan directs focus. And I think that might be what you're talking about, that particular one. Okay. We'll have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Jumping onto the Film Theorist's YouTube page and going to the playlist for Frame by Frame, all of those videos are excellent. They like to put on their little tagline, Frame by Frame, it's like film school, but better. (laughs) (laughs) Having never gone to film school, I can't confirm nor deny so i'll let you make that decision yourselves yeah but it's it's a great series and very very interesting and very knowledgeable and very enjoyable Mm -hmm. as we catch up with the buggy on the other side of this hill max has run over the ridge and he's kind of planted himself next to this big rock and he pulled out his binoculars we see the lone buggy make it to a dusty road and start i'm assuming getting up to max speed as fast as it can but it doesn't really do it much good because almost immediately behind it there are like four motorcycles catching up to it really fast right and we don't necessarily see what happens because we cut back to max but we hear like a couple of popping or maybe gunshot sounds i want to say probably like the popping of a tire or something like that because i don't think anyone in the horde has a gun besides lord humongous right not that we've seen or heard used or anything but whatever they do to this buggy in the next shot that we see it it is flipping and rolling and tires are coming off well whatever they did to this it wrecked this thing made it inoperable completely yeah it, it was a well done stunt Because you can tell by the way that it rolls. First of all, it was made to roll. Yeah. And from what I can tell, the only reason that it can't continue is it's missing a wheel. Yep. Flew off. And also the condition of the drivers. Yeah. Who don't seem to have fared very well. Probably got stunned. Maybe knocked out. Yeah. I think the driver is still pretty spry they're probably running off adrenaline because yes they're the ones that open up the the top hatch yes. of the dune buggy the passenger seems really out of it yeah like they're not moving all that much so it's it's hard to say exactly what state they are in but yeah that buggy isn't going anywhere did you notice and i'm not sure what to read into this but did you notice that we watch the actually before i get into this i want to confirm it with you we watch the the buggy go behind the pinnacle come out the other side chased by motorcycles do we see that through max's binoculars or do we see it just full screen everything that we see this minute involving the buggy is seen through the binoculars okay hold on when we see it come out from behind the hill and yeah. it's chased by motorcycles, that's full screen. When the buggy when starts to over, roll, that it's is through binoculars. binoculars. Yeah. Okay, I found the the jumping back and forth between full screen and binoculars kind of interesting, and I wanted to read something into it, but I, I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now that I think of it, they've been doing it the whole time, switching between full screen views of the compound and what's going on and looking through Max's binoculars. Perhaps switching to viewing through Max's binoculars is just to reiterate to us specifically what Max is paying attention to. Right. When you have the wide shot, you can take in the landscape and get your bearings. But when you go into that binocular shot, that is something that George Miller wants you specifically to see because Max is specifically seeing it. Yes. It's another example of him directing your focus so that when we get those zoomed in shots, 
with the binocular frame around it, that stuff is right. especially important. Right. It's like putting a spotlight on it. Exactly. This, this is what you're supposed to watch. I'm not going to let you see anything else. This is what you're supposed to watch. Mm-hmm. I like that he's using various methods so crammed together time-wise of directing our focus. It's not just binoculars the whole time. He's got various things. He's got the lighting on the compound and the dust trails, which I don't think I've mentioned yet how much I love those dust trails. Yeah. They're beautiful. I think I talked a lot about them on Friday. Yes. And the way they guide your eye. Yeah. And how they're all parallel. Was that Friday or Thursday? Um, I don't remember because I don't remember you talking about it. Oh, we talk it about was so Thursday. much. Sometimes yeah. it like immediately leaves my head. Yeah, it was Thursday because we didn't talk about it at all with Scott. Okay, I like that he's using so many different ways to make sure we see what he needs us to see. One thing that. George Miller really wants us to see is the fact that Wes and the Golden Youth are part of these motorcycle marauders yes. that catch up to this disabled buggy. And it's not just that they have the motorcycles. Apparently, they also brought along a tow truck, kind of an improvised tow truck, it looks like. It's yeah. like they took a F-100 and just ripped the bed off and got a rudimentary hauling system on the back there. Yes. I didn't think of it at first when I was writing my notes I'm like, oh, yeah, and they brought a truck along. And it just didn't really occur to me until we were talking about it beforehand that, of course, they bought a tow truck. Mm -hmm. They want everything they can get. That's why they're still alive. Right. So they're going to have their fun with the people in the buggy. They really want the buggy. (laughs) Yeah. People are disposable to the horde. Yep. Because... People equal more mouths to feed. They want the vehicles because the vehicles, yeah, they consume gasoline, but it also means that you can free up space. You can have spare parts. You can scrap that thing right down to the frame. Yep. Probably right down to nothing. Yep. And that buggy even had a spare tire. So that's five tires. Exactly. One of them might be repairable, the one that flew off. Yeah, probably. But may or may not be repairable. But they have at least four good tires out of that thing. The weirdest thing that we're going to see, I think, this week, though I'm not entirely sure because my notes aren't as together as they could be, I think... By the end of this week, we're going to see that they end up leaving the buggy behind, which just seems so... It's about as foolish as whoever killed that kangaroo. Right. And back left by it the Mack truck, leaving it behind. Yeah. This world is so much about taking everything you can get, but then we keep seeing these instances of things being left behind. Yeah. I think it's by the end of this week that we see Max go down to offer help to the survivors. Pretty sure. So... Hopefully I'm right. Yes, it is. By the end of this week, Max goes down to the buggy. Yeah. I think they probably would have come back for the car. I'm not sure. I haven't watched past this week's minutes, so I'm not sure what happens next. I'm willing to bet that the reason they didn't bring the buggy along with them is because they wanted to make sure that they didn't need to stay traveling light in order to help pursuit with other with scout other, groups. Right, like that buggy's not going anywhere. Yeah, they can come back for it anytime. Yeah. But I like that the motorcycles have a truck accompanying them, just in case. Yeah. It's a nice little detail. It kind of jumps back to, I think they're in... Mad Max 79, we talked about Goose chasing down the Knight Rider. What's he going to do when he catches him? Like a motorcycle all by himself can't really do that much. (laughs) So I appreciate that the motorcycles now have a support tow truck that follows them. (laughs) Now, 
going back to 79, we saw a very good example of motorcycles being effective. I think the major thing that we saw in the toe cutter gang taking out the Chevy scene. Oh, very true. Is it was... that Lair and his girlfriend were not willing to be as vicious as toe cutter was. No, I think they had two things. And that's things. one major they had, reason they, they were had so brutalized. Numbers. They were swarmed by motorcycles and the violence, like, oh, just the sheer amount of violence that Toka's gang was willing to do. Yeah. If Lair had been more willing to resort to violence, if he had not been just a normal dude before the end of the world, he could have sideswiped those motorcycles and done a lot of real damage and thinned out that herd and made it easier to escape them. But he was just a normal guy and he didn't have the mindset of oh these people want to like destroy my car and brutalize me and my girlfriend he just wanted to get away whereas the buggy here it's less substantial than the chevy back in the first movie yes so i mean if they had tried to sideswipe it they probably could have done a little bit of damage probably just would have ended up getting another passenger leaping off of the motorcycle that they sideswiped onto the top of their cage yes and i don't even think the motorcycles got close to the side of the buggy to give them that chance we don't see what happened like i mentioned earlier no and but something happened to that buggy to make it flip and roll yeah i'm glad you mentioned that you heard the the popping or the gunshot type noises because i didn't hear those yeah it was probably a, a popping of a tire yeah because they probably a shot a crossbow escaping. bolt exactly. into the tire because what i saw was the buggy just flipping over yeah <laughs> and with, with like no reason fairies yeah so i kind of chalked it up to bad driving like they hit some kind of ramp or hole that sent them flying Mm-hmm. Which you can kind of understand bad driving. This is a high stress situation. You're being chased by vehicles that you cannot outrun. You're a buggy. Yeah. Being chased by motorcycles. You cannot outrun them. So the stress is really high. So I was willing to buy that it was just bad driving and it flipped them over. But I much prefer the explanation that a crossbow bolt went into their tire, sent them out of control. They ended up flipping. Yeah. And the more I think about this week, the more it's bringing up <sighs> memories of the Chevy destruction scene. Yes. In Mad Max 79. It and I is... think the main difference that we're going to see is that... In 79, Toe Cutter's gang was all about destroying the Chevy. That was their fun. Yeah. In this movie, I don't think the Horde cares about the buggy. The Horde no. is all about brutalizing the people inside. Yeah, this is a rough week. It's going to be so different from that first movie. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, to tell the truth. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yep. Uh, is there anything that stands out... As a difference in the screenplay versus what we see on the screen? Okay, in the screenplay, it does specify that they fire arrows into the tires and smash the windscreen. Okay. Uh, So it does confirm that that is why they lost control and flipped over. Uh, that that's pretty much it. It 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 goes by pretty quick in the script in the in the screenplay. Yep. So that's really that's really the only like additional information. Um, something that I did have in my notes to point out that Wes and the Golden Youth, as we've seen, are in this group. Wes dismounts his motorcycle to join the pillaging. Yeah. I think he he jumps out specifically going to the passenger side of the buggy to, like, grab that person. Yes. And the Golden Youth stays on the bike. Yeah. In fact, one way that the Golden Youth is an asset is that Wes did not put the kickstand down. No. 
And you can tell because the golden youth, like, grabs for the handle trying to steady the bike. Because mm-hmm. now he's sitting on the backseat of the bike being the one responsible for balancing. And that's a that's a difficult position. <laughs> it's very tricky because those back seats, you're sitting up a little bit higher. So you got to right. so make sure. So I'm not sure... I can even reach the ground from the back seat of your bike. Yeah, but you're you're short. The back seat's really high on the back of your bike. Yeah. Cutting back up <laughs> to the top of the hill, we get a nice shot of the gyro captain kind of shuffling along the rocks to join Max by the big boulder that he's sitting next to. And as we see the gyro captain approaching, I remember very distinctly that Max chained him to a limb of a tree. Yeah. And it really makes me wonder how long that chain that connects him to that tree really is. Yes. Because this is more than a few feet from that log. It's, if I had to ballpark it, at least, you know, 10, 15 feet down that hill. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of leeway that Max gave the gyro captain. Right. That sort of leeway back in the setup that they have been in isn't even enough to keep him away from Max. Yeah. He's in perfect reach of Max if he has that much leeway. Now, we are going to get a better look at how much leeway he has down the road a little bit. Yep. Once Max meets with the people in the compound and then makes a new deal with them. Yes. We're going to get a fairly clear understanding of how much chain is between (laughs) the tree and the captain. Yeah. After this week... The gyro captain is going to disappear for a little while. Yeah. Because Max literally just leaves him behind. Just like... That's very Max. Hang out here. See you later. I don't care what you do. doesn't really care. Oh, he's so... And we're going to get into this more over the course of this week. Yeah. But he's so... Like, sometimes he doesn't care. And sometimes he does. And it's hard to tell when he's going to care and when he's not. I'm sure there's a pattern to it. I think by the end of this movie, we're going to be able to pick up when Max could care less and when he can't help but care. I think we'll be able to see enough instances over the course of this movie that we'll be able to nail that down. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tomorrow, we're going to continue the plight of the people in this scout vehicle. Max and the gyrocopter are going to hang up on the hill, and stuff is going to start happening, and it is going to continue happening all this week. So, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Yep. Rick said through ridded teeth, narrating everything he said. <laughs> I do that sometimes. I, I, I don't know. Don't ask me to explain it. Okay. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Mill and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 21 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.